want to encourage you guys, next few weeks, you know, we're starting, kind of starting Advent, and it's, it's Lord's coming, the birth of the Lord is coming, you know, we're, we're looking forward to Christmas, exciting things are happening, we've got a great night coming up the 13th, our prayer and worship night, it's going to be a great night, but I want to encourage you, over these next few weeks, to be in prayer. Be in prayer for our services. Be in prayer for the worship night coming up. You know, I was really moved last week. We had to move the Spirit, and God spoke to us. And if, if you're a member, if you was here, you're part of that, you heard the message, and the message was, the table is set for you. And so that really challenged me this week. The table is set for us. Can you imagine this week, many of you experienced Thanksgiving in a mighty way, Right? Experienced lots of days in a row, right? Can you imagine going to mom's house, going to grandma's house, and they've worked, you know, my mom, like two days she worked fixing this spread that we wiped out in like five minutes. You feel guilty, don't you? You sit back after like literally like ten minutes of eating, you're like, oh, that's so good, I'm done. Like, hang on a second, I worked two days for this. You better keep eating, right? But wouldn't it be sad if, if or Thanksgiving you show up to mom's house, grandma's house, and you pull up your chair to the table, and she's like, all right, let's pray, let's eat. And we pray, and you just sit there like this and not eat a thing. No dressing, no gravy, nothing for you. How would that make mama feel or grandma feel? <laughs> I don't, my mom would not be happy. She would say a word, but she would not be happy, right? Yet last week, the Lord showed up, and he told us specifically, I have set the table for you. Come hungry. Come hungry. Come expecting something of God. That's what I want for us to finish out this year, expecting something from God, expecting God to move every service, every service, every worship set. We're praising the Lord. We're putting everybody out of our, out of our focus. We're focusing on God. We're praising God for those moments. The next Sunday, you show up expecting God to move in a great way that we pray from now till the 13th that God's going to move miraculously on that night of worship, that the Lord's going to show up in a powerful way. And we come expecting that. Why? Because he said he set the table for us. I do not want to offend my God. And I know that throughout the week, junk happens into where I need more of him. But yet, what do we do? We fill up on all this other crud in, in the world. And, and I, this is not the sermon. This is this free extra stuff. But I, I thought about this all week. And it really fired me up that we come to church and we sit back like we got our bellies full. Like, oh, I'm good. Oh, that's a cute song. Or I, I like that song. Or I, but I want us to come expecting God to do something. Expecting for the miraculous, expecting him to move mightily. Every service, we're expecting God because he set the table for us. Come on. Next week, this week, be in prayer and show up like you're hungry. Show up like you spent all week just pouring yourself out and you're starving to death. And let's see what God does with the rest this year because I know there's people that needs a move of the Lord in their life this year. And we could be key to that, but only if you come hungry, you come expecting God to do great things. Amen. Amen. Lord, move. Move mightily, Jesus. Hallelujah. 
This morning, we are winding down. Can you believe it? We are like, this is the end of chapter 15. There's only one more chapter, if you read ahead, in Romans chapter, or Romans. And so we are definitely finishing out the book this year. In Romans chapter 15, we come to the end of the, end of the chapter, and, and Paul is showing us some exciting things. And he's actually giving us an example in chapter 15, a kind of the framework of ministry. He wants to see like how he does ministry. This is how we should do ministry. And so he's showing an example to us of what a divine partnership looks like. Like the human side, the divine side, the trinity, how it all works together to do ministry. And that's what we get to see. And I love how the Holy Spirit lines out the book of Romans, don't you? Look what all we've seen in this book so far. We've seen them start with, you're basically nothing. You have nothing. You are nothing. You cannot ever earn anything. And so he breaks us down, right? You feel like you're in boot camp through the book of Romans, right? He breaks you down. Like first five chapters, he's just telling you, you're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless. And then he hits you with, the, well, this is how we, we become something. This is how, because of all that God did, setting this up, giving his son, he walks us through this, right? And he walks us through the gospel and how we retain, how we gain our righteousness and how we live like that. And he gives us all these gifts, gives us the Holy Spirit, and then he gives each one of you a special gift to serve him with. And so as he's walking through all this, he knows there's tension, there's division between the Jews and the Gentiles. And so he actually just finished taking us through that to where how we all get along, right? How you don't put your opinions over somebody else. You don't let your opinions uh, dictate who you can fellowship, who you cannot fellowship. And he's showing us how we live in unity, and it's amazing. And so now all that, so how do we gain our righteousness? How do we serve God? How do we work together in unity? And now he's giving us a framework for the ministry. Okay, now that I've taught you all this, this is what we do. And so it's pretty cool how the Holy Spirit has set this all up. And then we come to Romans chapter 15, verse 14. It begins to wind down this letter to the Jews and the Gentiles and the followers in Rome. And he's writing this, and we know in Rome, in the culture of Rome, if you was to be successful, you had to wield your influence. And then to gain influence, that means people were only necessary if they helped you climb up that ladder. And so this is the culture he's, he's talking to, right? And so we've learned over the last few weeks that a follower of Christ, we live... Uh, countercultural, right? We don't go along with the grain. We're the fish swimming the opposite side, right? Because why? Because we're not supposed to look like everybody else. Why? Because this is not our home. We don't belong here, and if we don't belong here, we don't look like everybody else. That means we don't do everything everybody else does. We don't fit in. We don't do the things that are socially acceptable. We don't. We stick out because we're different. We're not from around here. Jonathan, He's not from around here, is he? I've told your stuffing and dressing story a thousand times this, Christmas, this Thanksgiving. I appreciate that. But if he wasn't around, you know. You know Jonathan wasn't from around here, right? Because you get to his station, he's serving the dressing. And some people actually ask, you know, I want some dressing. Well, Jonathan says, well, it's down there, pointing towards the salads, you know, that's where the dressing's at, down there by the salads. This is stuffing. I don't know what you're talking about, but this is stuffing, right? And so, yeah, right off the bat, you know, okay, he's probably not from around here, right? <laughs> and why? Because he's not. He's not supposed to talk like you, because why? He didn't grow up here. 
Things have different meanings. You know, scallops here look like a little bitty peeny. There they look like more like half a dollar or something. It's just the way it is. Because why? He's not from here. He doesn't look like everybody. Why? Because this is not his home. It's becoming his home, but this is not his home. That applies to you and I. This is not our home. So we don't look like everybody else. We don't act like everybody. We don't talk like everybody else, and that's okay. That's why we are countercultural, because that's just who we are. That's the life we're supposed to live. Where it gets dangerous is when you, can't, when you start can't telling us apart. That's a dangerous place to be. That's where you're, you're, you're losing your effectiveness. But Paul's example for Jews and Gentile followers was to resist the cultural influences they and to serve one another. And that's how he says we're going to build this church. We're going to build Christ's church by doing things countercultural. And this, he goes on to show us that there's a plan to this. His plans to encourage the believers in Jerusalem and the plans for the future. But these are not just his plans. He sees God's hand in it. And that, and that sometimes is a tricky part for us to grasp, is what is our role and what is God's role? You know, what, what do we plan and what do we leave to God? You know, you hear that a lot. Well, I'm just going to leave it in God's hands. Well, what are you doing about it? And so there's a little tension, okay? Well, if you're doing something about it, is that, does that mean you have a lack of faith? Well, and, and you get, there's just, it gets a little confusing sometimes. And Paul's going to show us how to work this out and how a healthy framework of ministry and what this looks like. And hopefully if we, we assign to this, then we can figure out what, what is our role in this framework that God has laid out for us. And the amazing thing about all of this is that God wants to partner, look at this, that God wants to partner with imperfect sinners. That's you, that's me, in this ministry in order to pass on the eternal life-giving message of Jesus Christ. So he's chosen you and I, this is the framework, he's chosen you and I, we play a role in this. And what then can we learn about role and God's role in helping the church grow spiritually and numerically? And so Paul shows us, I'm going to read uh, verses 14 to 19. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by the way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by the word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Lycrium I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So Paul tells the Romans they are mature enough to sort these tricky things out. So he's making a transition. Which is incredible that, okay, I told you this, now it's time to move on. And I'm not going to tell you again, I'm not going to tell you again, I'm not going to repeat it. I'm just, I told you, this is how we get along. This is how we deal with these situations. This is how we do unity. And believing that he's equipped them by the teaching of God's word on how to grow together. And so he's moving on. This is why God called him, but he's very careful to state that it's God working through us. 
And so he starts to show us the role of the Holy Spirit, the role of the Trinity in the work of the gospel. We have a job, but then the, the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the God has a job too. The Trinity has a job in us. And so Paul gives us a glimpse of how God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit work in helping us spread the gospel. Because he clearly says it was, it was by God's grace that God called him to get the word to the Gentiles. He's very careful. He's not boasting. He's not being arrogant about it. He's not, he's not bragging on himself. But his teaching, he, he points to what? It's all about the grace of God. It's all because of the grace of God. This is a reminder to us. This is kind of the first of the framework to you and I this morning is that we be humble that God called us to proclaim his word. We be humble in what we do. We be humble that God has called every one of us here this morning. If you have breath in your lungs, God has called you to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim his word. He states, he, he, he has written them quite boldly on some points. I love how he puts that. I, I, I've been very clear. I've been very to the point on, on a lot of things. But he clearly points to God who has graciously turned Paul's life around to be able to do what he's done. Paul knows that apart from the grace of God, he would be nowhere. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he even states this simple fact. Let me read that to you this morning. Uh, starting with verse 12, 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithfully, appointing me to his service. Through formerly, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I love this. Paul says this, of whom I am the foremost, of whom I am the chief sinner. Verse 16, but I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as a foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Amen. So what Paul is saying, hey, look, look at my life. God took this, me, this, this religious persecutor, bent on destroying the Christian world, destroying Christians, destroying the work of God, and made him the most visible voice of the gospel in his day and one of the most prolific writers of the Old New Testament that we have today. Paul's saying, look at me, my life, as you and I proclaim the gospel. It's in humility. Because why? Because we have nothing to show. We have nothing to offer. Even Paul, a religious elite. He knew the word of God. He studied. He knew the laws. He knew his, his stuff. Even him saying, hey, look, look at me, my life. I am the chief of the sinners. So if I can change, you can change. If God's grace is good enough for me, guess what? God's grace is good enough for you. If there's anybody that had reason to boast, it was Paul. All that he's been through, all that he's done, all that he's accomplished, he had reason to boast. But I love the fact that he's like, nope, it's not me. If you look at me, you see the grace of God. If you look at me, you see God working. If you look at me, you see the Holy Spirit moving. If you look at me, I'm a, a great example of him. 
always pointing back to Christ, always pointing back to God. The Paul, so Paul was humbled by God's grace in saving him and choosing to serve him. So that means for you and I, we need to be careful not to make any ministry about us, any position, anywhere you serve in the church. We have to be careful not to make it about us, but always point people to the grace of God for the results he causes to happen. Paul knew that. He knew that God had gifted him, God called him to serve. He is also very well aware to trust the Holy Spirit to transform lives. This is another framework that we have this morning in, in ministry. If we look at the framework of ministry, is to trust in the Holy Spirit to transform lives. You say that, and you probably say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Amen, Pastor. But how many times do we get caught up in trying to be the catalyst to make that change happen? And how many times are we disappointed when we speak in our lives and nothing happens? Because oftentimes we forget this step. We know this step. We believe this step. But sometimes we forget the step that trusts in the Holy Spirit to transform lives. Twice, Paul gives credit to the power of the Holy Spirit who takes the word of God spoken by Paul to make changes in people's hearts. Paul actually uses priestly language to describe what he did. He spoke truth to people as an offering acceptable to God that the Holy Spirit sets apart, meaning the meaning of sanctification, now for God's purpose. Paul knew he wasn't the one who changed people's lives. It was the Holy Spirit. It was God's Word speaking through Paul that changed lives. And that's no different for you and I. That we depend on the Holy Spirit to change people's lives. That we are saved by God's grace. Think about it. Think about your own life. You're saved because of why? Because you heard the word spoken, truth spoken, by somebody who was being obedient to God. Did you not? So you heard the truth being spoken by somebody who was being, being obedient to God. Did that person save you? No, it was work of the Holy Spirit. But you see, all the orders that had to happen had to take place for you to, to understand that. God's Spirit took the Word and changed your heart. And now every time we obediently speak and we do things for God, the Spirit uses us to change people's hearts. Here's the here's here's best part of this today. The exciting part for me. The extremely comforting part is knowing the results of what we do, do not depend on how effective we are. I want you to understand that this morning. The results of what we do are not dependent on how effective we are, but how obedient we are. Because when we're obedient, we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to work, right? So it's not your effectiveness. How well are you at listening? How well are you at obeying? How well are you about hearing the Spirit speak to you when to speak into somebody's life? How to share, how to use the Word of God. <laughs> oh my goodness. We've got some very happy, pleasant surprise. We've got the Millers joining us this morning. Unbelievable. Katie and Jeff and the whole crew. Praise the Lord. I'm glad to see you guys. <laughs> Man, I, I can't get over that one. <laughs> Man, all the way from Alabama. Come on. <laughs> so that's, a, that's exciting to me, right? 
I don't know about you, but it excites me to know that my effectiveness does not depend on me. Praise the Lord. It actually depends on me being obedient to God. Now, I can do that. When God tells me to do something, if I listen, if I obey him, and I trust the Holy Spirit to carry it out, guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a move of the Spirit. Somebody's life's going to get touched. Somebody's going to get spoken to. Somebody's going to get an encouraging word that they need for that moment. Why? Because I was obedient. Not because I'm a great speaker. You guys know better than that. It's because I was listening. I was obeying God in my life. Same with you. Most of you are not trained to be a pastor. That's okay. You can listen, can't you? You can obey, can't you? When you hear God speak in your life, you obey. Not thinking, oh, man, I'm going to knock this out apart. I'm going to just, I'm going to, man, this person's going to be saved in two seconds after me talking to him. No, because you're going to listen. You're going to obey what the Lord's speaking in your heart, and you're going to do. And then you trust him. You trust the Holy Spirit to speak and to transform their lives. You have nothing to do with it except to listen. Are you a good listener this morning? I hope so. This also changes our perspective on how we measure the effectiveness of ministry. Because our, our number is important. You know, everybody goes by numbers. In any year, we'll fill out a big report that goes to headquarters all about numbers. You know, how many was saved, how many baptized, how many is a regular service, how many is a Wednesday. I mean, it's, it's crazy the numbers they want. And it's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all. Don't get me wrong. To some degree, in the sense that if we are obedient to God, we should see more people coming to Christ, right? But it's not the true standard by which we measure the effectiveness of our ministry. Jesus said in his word that we're like planting seeds, It takes time to grow those seeds. It needs the right atmosphere. It needs the right mixture of ingredients once we put the seeds in the ground. There's not much power in us. Once you put those seeds in the ground, there's not much power in you to make anything grow, is there? We have to trust the creator of the soil, who alone knows how it works, to do the work. So you trust, right? You trust the creator. Same with ministry. You teach a Bible lesson. You lead a life group. You, you, you teach a class for years. You share the gospel over and over and over. Or maybe you treat unkind people with kindness over and over and over and not see any results for the longest time. It gets frustrating, doesn't it? You're like, well, I should have 20 in my life group. Or I should have seen five people come to the Lord this year. Then one day you hear, you find out, years down the road, maybe somebody was listening. Maybe somebody did respond by how you treated them, how you changed. You see, if we only measure by numbers or instant results, we could take credit for that, couldn't we? But if we measure effectiveness by moves of the Spirit... Years down the road, when somebody comes up to you and say, you know, you, you treated me so kind that one day. I had to figure out what was going on. Because your kindness, I came to the Lord. Because your kind word, I came to the Lord. Because your teaching, you taught me, and I saw the gospel in a new light, I came to the Lord. That's affected us. Wow. Why? Because we listened, we were obedient, and we did what the Lord asked of us. And we trusted the Holy Spirit to move. We trusted the effect in this Holy Spirit. 
And so when we don't take credit for it, instead we give glory to Jesus who makes all things possible. Verse 17, 18, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obedience. The focus of the gospel, it's always Jesus Christ. It's only through him, through faith in his death, in his burial and resurrection, that we can be saved. Why? Because there's no boasting on our part. Nothing we did. First five chapters of Romans clearly tells us nothing we did deserved our righteousness. Only through Jesus Christ. But we also thank Jesus and magnify him for all he's done. Because Jesus is the one who reveals the Father to us in his plan to save us. Jesus is the one who sent the Holy Spirit to us after he ascended to heaven. Jesus is the one who modeled for us that we don't glorify ourselves. Why? Because Jesus, he came to earth to what? To glorify the Father, to please the Father. And since they're the same, yeah, distinct, we glorify one is glorifying the other. There's no contradiction. So our ministry is not about us. It's all about the grace given us by God. And Paul now returns his focus, the bold teaching reminds him of God's grace. He's talked about a couple, couple groups here. He's going to show us the place of planning in the work of the gospel. He's going to show us how God used his plan to strengthen Jewish and Gentile disciples. And how do we know if our plans are over God? So that's the question. Is our plans of God or should we just wait? Should we sit back and wait on the Lord? Well, here's the interesting thing. That phrase, wait on the Lord, is found a few times in the Old Testament. But it doesn't mean to sit back and do nothing while God does everything. I think that's the temptation of a lot of us today is, well, I'm just going to leave it in God's hands. I'm going to sit back and wait on the Lord. But in the, New Te- in the Old Testament, it means to serve God with eager expectations, knowing He's going to fulfill His word. We get that? We're, not, we're waiting on the Lord, yeah. But while we're waiting on the Lord, guess what we're doing? We're serving God. We're doing something. We're serving God with eager expectation. You're waiting on the revival. You're waiting on God to move. So guess what? You're serving with eager expectation. That means every Sunday you're showing up to service eagerly expecting God to move, expecting revival to break out. Why? Because you're, you're waiting on the Lord, but what? You're doing your part. While you're waiting, you're eagerly expecting, you're praying, you're fasting, you're, you're wanting these things to happen. And so we're not waiting, we're not setting our hands waiting. Yeah, I'm waiting on God to move, but man, I'm doing everything I can do to help him move. I'm praying every chance I get. I'm fasting. I'm showing up for service, excited about what God's going to do, excited about what God's going to say to us, and we're excited how he's going to show up. It never means do nothing. Even praying for God to show us is still serving him. You know, Paul made his plans based on the word of, the, of God. God promised in Acts 1, empower disciples to be witnesses of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Paul took that seriously. So he started making his plans. He went on three separate journeys and plant churches, making his way towards what he knew was the end of the earth. But what about our plans locally to serve God and help his church grow or spread the gospel? And Paul shows us that. Verses 19 to 24, he, he wants to make sure our ambition is a holy one. He outlined his future plans to preach the gospel. And he was known, he, he, he hadn't been where it had not been. And so that was his ambition. 
And that word ambition means to love, to honor. That's, that's it. Paul loved to honor God. And this is how he honored God. Paul loved to honor God, and yet he was going to take the gospel everywhere it was not known. Everywhere. Remember your neighbor, what we talked about? Your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Everyone in need. So everyone in need, you're taking the gospel too. Why? Because we want to honor God. We want to please the Father. That was the example of Jesus. He came to love everyone, and he came to do the will of the Father. What's the will of the Father? To love everyone. And that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to honor God by carrying these things out, and that's what we are called to do. This is what a holy ambition is, to set apart what we want to do so Jesus and God get the glory, get the honor. Ultimately, God placed this desire in Paul's heart to honor God where he had not been honored yet. And so the question for us is, this is a good measuring tool for us, is it a holy ambition? Is our aim to love, to honor Jesus through it? Whatever you do, if, you, if you're a greeter out front, is your aim to honor Jesus through it? If you're working a nursery, is your aim to honor Jesus through it? You know, I remember growing up, I always got the, the announcement job. You know, in youth and beginning of ministry, you're, you're young, you use a youth pastor, somebody gets the announcement job, right? And that's like, let's be honest, that's a boring job to have in a church. You know, you try to make it fun, but you guys just glare at us, and you don't even remember what we say, and so it's like you feel so deflated. And so it's my job. Every time I got up, and I'm not saying this to boast of me, because it's, I'm, I've made it very clear, I'm just a knucklehead, but my job, when I got up to do announcements every time, I was praying, God, move in a mighty way. God, it wouldn't be cool if the Holy Spirit broke out as I'm giving an announcement. That's like my dream. Like a fire start as I give an announcement. I mean, man, I was, you know, you write your own ticket after that. But, I mean, it was this, I mean, that was it. And so everything you do, in every position, every job, everything you do in serving your neighbor, helping them pick up sticks, you're praying, Lord, can I show you honor in this? Can I honor you through this? Will he see you through this? That's your desire to honor God in everything we do, in every ministry, everywhere, every cup of coffee. You're sitting down with somebody, God, let me honor you through this. Let them see you through this. It's more about you, that you get the honor, God, for all this. When we do these things, it's going to strengthen the people closest to you. You Because Paul talked, I'm going to hurry up, I I need to wind this down. Paul talks about he wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to take this offering to Rome. He was, he, but he was going through Jerusalem because he had to go through Jerusalem to take the, off, take the offering to Jerusalem. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Don't you think he could have had somebody else take the offering to Jerusalem? I, I mean, I, that's just pretty easy, right? But this, here's the reason why this was so important to him. Because this offering was made up from gifts from the Jewish people and from the Gentile people. This is one of the first times this is seen happen. Unity, they're given to one goal. They're given to spread the gospel. So they're both given to this. That's, you don't understand how earth-shaking that is. These two cultures that hated each other are now given together for a common goal that's unity that's why it was so important that's why when we do these things it builds up our community yes but also builds up each other if we act with humbleness if we serve to honor god guess what it's going to build up those around us 
We need each other. And that's why the last four verses end, and I'm, and I'm going to wrap this up, but it ends with our partnership in the work of the gospel. It's a divine partnership, but also a human partnership. We need each other to help do ministry for two basic reasons. One, the, for the purpose, for the progress of the gospel. Verses 30 and 31, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that, I'm, that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorable, favorably received by the Lord's people there. Even though Paul's planning was a wholly ambitious, it was all about the strengthening of the church, he knew he needed divine help. So he asked these believers, pray with me. And look this out. I don't have, I don't have time to, to go into all the detail, but if you look in like Acts and Colossians, you see the way God protected him. You see that when he got to some places, he got to places that the, the people were ready to stone him. But a Roman captain saw over the wall what was going on and went to intervene. I mean, just unbelievable things happened to Paul. Why? Because people were praying. He knew the importance of us gathering together and praying and knew the divine. He needed divine. In that moment, he needed divine. And the only way the divine is going to happen is if you pray. Any way God's going to move in our services is if you pray. Any way that the Spirit's going to change lives on the 13th is if you guys start praying right now for that, for the divine to happen. We need the vine. That's a partnership. We're praying. We're doing everything we can do in the natural, so God will do everything he can do in the supernatural. Many people don't want God's plan to succeed. So Paul says, strive with me in prayer. That word strive is where we get our word agonize. Agonize with me in prayer. All ministry needs prayer because we don't want it to be our work. We want it to be God's work. And look how it ends. This is, and I'm, I promise I'll stop here. How it ends, the other basic reason we need partnership is we need each other with God for our mutual joy. Verse 32 and 33, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy, and together you will be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. One of the Neat blessings we get from serving God is we get God's joy when we obey Him together. Isn't that cool? When we obey together, there's joy there. There's joy in our unity. There's joy in our fellowship. I'm going to end with this. 1 Timothy, I'm going to go back to 1 Timothy 12 through 14. God, here's what happens. God has saved us, and God has called us by His grace to glorify Him by serving together. And when that happens, look what, uh, verse 12, 1 Timothy, I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithfully, appointing me to His service. Though I, though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent op opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It's an incredible story, isn't it? God takes a bunch of misfits, a bunch of sinners, shows them how to be right, shows them how to work together, Shows them have unity, even though we have differing opinions. 
even when we have different in thoughts, he shows them how to have unity, shows them how to do ministry. And it's all because of the grace of God. Unbelievable. Like this should not happen. Like it, never, it doesn't happen nowhere else like this. But all because of the grace of God. All because God gave me strength through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the ministry. When we humbly obey, when we humbly listen. And you, I've said this. I'm sure you've said this. Lord, I'm not, I'm not worthy. Lord, I, I can't do that. Lord, you don't know. I haven't made the right. Lord, I, I didn't. And what Paul is telling us this morning is if we listen, and if we obey, don't worry about how effective you are, because I know how effective the Holy Spirit can be. So next time the Lord is calling you, maybe to reach out, maybe to say a kind word, maybe to buy a meal for somebody, or maybe to go share something with your neighbor, instead of saying, well, Lord, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not. How about next time, let's just be obedient. So okay. You know what you're working with. So you know it's got to be the power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, this morning we're going to do communion. I'm going to ask Brother Olin to come on up for us. I thought, what a great way to start out the Advent by having communion together. And it's a very special time, and I've asked Olin to come, and I've asked Pastor Jonathan, Pastor Macy, if they would come up and close us out with communion this morning. hear me awesome so if you would take your elements they're sometimes a little cumbersome to open so why don't you guys open those so this year was a first for me and i get to spend thanksgiving for the first time with my beautiful new wife and then her family none of that would have happened unless the lord had done this for me first I never would have experienced this entire weekend. And I think at times, as the days move on and as they pass by, we forget sometimes the simple blessings and amazing blessings that we would have never had had not the Lord sacrificed His Son for each and every one of us. Matthew says in his gospel in verse 26, Now as they were eating... Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. If you have your elements, bow your heads with me this morning. Father, Lord, we thank you. that you saw it fit to send the most precious gift to us 
Lord and for leading him to go through the breaking of his body so that each and every one of us can be in a daily relationship with you. Father, thank you for choosing to do that for each and every one of us. In your precious son's name, let's partake. verse 27 it says and he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them saying drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins I tell you I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom Father, we just thank you so much once again for the sacrifice of your son. Jesus, we thank you for this blood as we hold this representation of the blood in our hands. God, we thank you for the blood that you poured out for our salvation, for the forgiveness of sins, as that verse verse says. God, as we look forward to Christmas, Lord, we just take some time to remember the purpose of your coming, to remember why it matters that Jesus came, why we celebrate, not just because of his life, but also because of his sacrifice, also because of your death and your resurrection, Jesus. We thank you. We're so grateful as we remember the blood and what it's done for us. God, the salvation, the forgiveness of sins, Lord, that has changed each one of our lives. Father, as we take this blood, let us remember. We love you, Lord. Partake. Father, we just thank you once again, one more time. Lord, for the sacrifice of your son, God, and for the way that that has changed and impacted our lives. I pray as we go forward into this day, into this week, as we begin to celebrate the Christmas season, Lord, that we truly would remember your sacrifice, that we would not forget it day in and day out, God, that we would remain most thankful for the thing that matters most in our lives, which is you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning? Oh, Jesus, Lord, as we, we start this Christmas season, Lord, God, I pray that we just, we reminded this 